This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, two leftover pieces of cake from the party last weekend. Paul Jaceley. Hello, humanoids. And Nick White. Hey. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm very excited to talk about comic books with the both of you because I haven't talked to the both of you on a show since we had our big break. And you know what? It's just going to be exciting. But before we get into it, I got to remind everyone we have a hangout coming up this upcoming weekend, August 21st at... 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Let me double check. That that's actually right. That's actually right. Uh, yeah, you should come and hang and talk about comic books with us because it's going to be a blast. We always have a good time. We stay up way too late on the Internet together. Uh, and we I don't know. I just like it. It's a good time. Uh, but you know what? Let's get into things. Let's talk about comic books. Let's ask those two very important questions that I need to ask to get this show started. That is, how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Nick. Uh, well, West Michigan Weather Watch, things have been good, uh, not too warm, uh, thankfully, um, I assume you probably had the same issue, Paul, I think it was, um, gosh, when was that, Thursday, just had unbelievable amount of rain, unbelievable amount of rain, Yeah. storms, 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 lightning, uh, knocked out power for a lot of people, I guess, um, I'm not really sure where, not around here. So it's it's nice to not have to have a bunch of days of that and then nervously, you know, hope the the sump pump and everything keeps running for <laughs> a couple of days on end. So it's been nice. Went outside a little bit this weekend, which does happen occasionally. Uh, for those wondering, I give the outdoors a seven and a half out of ten. It's it's average. <laughs> okay. um, that's yeah, that's more than average. Yeah. Is, wait, is your average at seven for the outdoors? Well, I, I I grade on the only real numerical grading scale that matters, which is the IGN video game grading scale. Oh, and, okay, okay. Where where average is seven and a half, and and uh, all Call of Duty score a nine and higher. So, gotcha. Um, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, Paul knows what I'm talking oh, about. Yeah. He loves oh, yeah. he, Paul loves those Call of Duty games. He'll call me up <laughs> middle of the week. He'll be like, I'll be like, it's 11 p.m. He's like, get that Mountain Dew, Code Red, of course. Mm-hmm. What am I, an idiot? Get those Cool Ranch Doritos. Midnight get on Call of Duty because we're going to shout at some kids can't and wait, call huh? people names. Oh uh-huh. yeah, Paul. Paul's kill death ratio is like nine to one. It's it's astounding. Yeah, my my confirmed kills in Call of Duty would would boggle the mind. If they're <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. So, so we we probably shouldn't go into it. That's all. I mean, that sounds too much. You're scaring me just talking about it. Okay. Oh, I love this mythological pro gamer Paul that we've created. <laughs> <laughs> but Nick, oh, what comic books you've been reading? You got to tell us. Oh, I don't care about that part. Now we're talking about no. <laughs> um, what have I been reading? Well, I did manage to read. I was going to say the most recent. It would just be the most recent for me. Uh, the fourth volume of Delicious in Dungeon. Uh, that's right. Uh, this might be a first. Uh, one of my reads for the week is a manga. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People are mm-hmm. capable of personal growth, and sometimes <laughs> it takes 300 episodes and and uh, <laughs> and six years. But here we are. It's a it's a new day. So this is written and drawn by Ryoko Kui. Kui. I think Not it's sure. Kui. Okay. Uh, and this is from Yen Press. Full credit to Mike. I Mike knows that I'm I'm not super, super fond of the manga that I've read. Minor caveat, obviously, what are the easiest and most, you know, accessible things 
or at least what used to be, you know, when I was going through high school and, and early college was, of course, uh, Pokemon, Naruto, Bleach. I think most people know the standard, you know, checklist for sure. what Americans had access to. And of course, I wasn't really wild about like, you know, two people shouting at each other about how one of them is like, has learned the secret shadow technique of, you know, Falcon step level five. And the other one's like, yes, but I have learned the, you know, the triple strike meteor punch. Um, and it's, you know, I don't need that. Uh, I mean, so you're just not into battle manga. I get that. I can understand that if if that's if sure uh, if that's what it is yeah yeah so yeah yeah um so Mike Mike knows that he has to be pretty careful about what he recommends just because I think you know and it's uh, obviously I think that's a fine art for people I think some people just get so caught up in like loving something that they just assume everybody else must love it but uh you know Mike knows better than that so right. earlier this year he had me reading what was it the the way of the house husband yeah and absolutely loved that totally loved that uh ex yakuza you know gangster um sort of finds a new calling as a as a house husband um gets caught up in such things as like finding killer deals at the shopping mart to baking bread really really loved that book looked great read great sort of defied some gender stereotypes it was great Delicious in Dungeon is sort of kind of a combination of do you like TTRPGs? Do you like maybe more traditional fantasy settings, monsters, mythology, horror? Uh, do you like manga? Do you like video games? It's it's kind of this broad set of things that maybe shouldn't work combined or maybe you would at least hope that the sum would be you know it would be the sum would be greater than that of its parts but all of the parts in their own right are actually really quite good you have this sort of character named laos or laos he's like a fighter and a warrior and he's part of this party and this party traditionally goes into this dungeon in search of treasure or riches Stop me if you've heard this one before. Most of us have read something in a fantasy setting. We're pretty familiar mm-hmm. with this. Of course, one of these adventures goes south. Uh, a dragon swallows his sister, who is a member of his party. But his party really can't give pursuit because they've run out of supplies and food. And it kind of sets up this core conceit for the book, which is, you know, they have to leave the dungeon and resupply in order to come back. And so it kind of addresses this issue of, well, how do you how do you plan to get further in the dungeon? How are you going to get further in the dungeon unless you have a way of either making your supplies last longer or or getting creative? Um, and you can say, well, Nick, what about teleportation spells? Well, teleportation spells are for the rich. This book <laughs> definitely addresses that. <laughs> teleportation <laughs> is for the rich. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so they Laos, who who has a fascination with monsters that is both encyclopedic and maybe unhealthy on certain levels, um, decides that he's going to just start eating monsters. You know, why go up to look for food when the food is right there? Um, It might be in the form of a a dragon or a chimera or um, even living pieces of armor, I know. Um, Mm -hmm. But let's cook this stuff and we'll make our own food supply. And they find this other character who's a dwarf, 
um, who's also uh, really into cooking. And it sort of turns the book into this half swashbuckling fantasy sword advent, you know, sword and, and magic adventure. And on the and on the other end, it's also sort of a cooking manga, which mm-hmm. gets into everything from different, you know, modern cooking techniques to, you know, plating the food and the presentation is great. And clearly this is the person writing this knows a lot about food or clearly I know very little. <laughs> I do know the number for dominoes, so everyone can get off my back. Um, okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, it's really enjoyable. <laughs> and uh-huh. I think if you're into any of those things I listed, I think you'd have a really good time with this book <laughs> i i rarely think that i can give you a book that i know that you will enjoy and i can't believe that i did it with two of them that's all that i'm saying <laughs> um but all, also what i'm thinking is that this is right up paul's alley right paul you love fantasy you love <laughs> all this sword and sorcery you're a big fan of my, right you, you get right on this i mean yeah you're taking all it's my a, boxes it's a real so. paul bingo yeah. it's a real paul Manga. bingo sword and sorcery <laughs> you might be surprised by one of the things i read this week then just i'll save it for that but uh, you might be surprised. About okay. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, real quick, Nick, you read anything else this week? <laughs> yeah, I did read the unbelievable on teens. Number one. Um, this is the latest entry in the uh, black hammer franchise. It's a mini series. Obviously Jeff Lemire is writing. I say, obviously, I guess recently he has um, handed over the reins a couple times. Mm-hmm. So maybe, mm-hmm. maybe obviously isn't the right word to use, uh, but it is Lemire. It's Tyler Crook on art, which is just, a, f- a fucking home run it doesn't mm-hmm. i mean you could say <laughs> nick there's no pros in the book and it doesn't matter and it's just tyler cook art and you get to write your own story i'd say fine fine it's a deal freaking home run we obviously know this team they worked together in 2020 and 2021 on the colonel weird cosmogog miniseries also for the black hammer franchise so this this book sort of deals with this. Uh, yes, it's a little meta. You have this comic book creator named Jane Ito. She returns home after a long day of signings and commissions at the Spiral City Comic Con, only to be confronted by an individual in her apartment dressed like one of her characters, Jack Sabbath, except he claims that he is Jack Sabbath and that she has a deeper connection to the unbelievable unteens. That's the name of her book um, that goes beyond them merely them merely being a comic and her merely being their creator. I don't want to say anything more than that. Yeah, leave um, it there. Leave yep. it there. I read that book. If you say literally one more word, Nick, yep. you spoil a book. Yep. <laughs> and I mean, I don't think it's a real M. Night Shyamalan twist, but it's still enough of a sh- twist that I don't want to touch that. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, oh. Does it really subvert expectations on the trajectory of the issue? Is there a grand twist? Mm, No, I wouldn't say so. Now, the big question I think some people are always going to ask is just, Nick, just how tied into the rest of the Black Hammer universe is this? And when I finished the issue, I honestly thought that the deepest connection was that we knew this was taking place in Spiral City which is Mm -hmm. the effective metropolis of, of the Black Hammer universe, and that that was it. Except I have Google. Both of you should honestly get on this at some point. I know you're both yeah. clearly opposed to this, but get with the times. Um, but uh, apparently this Jack Sabbath character, who's basically Dead Man, it's clearly in it. And, you know, he's mm-hmm. clearly analogous for Dead Man. Um, 
Apparently, he was a guide for Lucy Weber, a.k.a. the new Black Hammer, when -hmm. she was in the underworld in Black Hammer Age of Doom. Oh, you don't remember that either? Good. Um, Listen, we're getting deep into the Black Hammer lore here now, so you don't have to shame anybody, Nick. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All I have to say is I think it was a real deep cut. I totally forgot about it. Sure. Um, And you know what? I'll just say this on that point, and, and we'll call it good. Um. I kind of actually like this more. I'm okay with the connections between books and spinoffs and whatnot, not mm-hmm. having to be crucial or pivotal or, mm-hmm. oh, this miniseries explains this core trait about this book. And, you know, like the whole like, oh, Rogue One explains why the Death Star was built, you know, as this crappy one shot and it blows up machine. And now everything makes sense. And I'm finally at peace. Like, I don't need that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) i don't need that and i'm actually more okay with these books kind of having more fringe uh tangential uh sort of thin connections than this idea that everything needs to you know carefully connect into this unbelievably great cohesive whole like not every book needs to be hickman Mm (laughs) <laughs> so I, I can't tell do you like this yeah. or do you not like this <laughs> that's my question <laughs> uh, w- welcome to my problem um <laughs> i enjoyed the first issue it wasn't bad the writing felt um you know pretty standard but i also think as we've seen with lemire and certainly as we've seen with black hammer that he likes to set up He likes to set up the reader based on conventions for comics, specifically superhero comics, and then pull the rug out Mm. later. So Mm -hmm. maybe we'll see that down the line. If not, we get to look at gorgeous Tyler Crook artwork for pages and pages, and that's that's a win. Nobody can be mad about that. I'm I'm right there with you. Well, uh, Paul, what about you? How have you been? How how have comic books been? You read anything um, as interesting as Delicious in Dungeon? I'm just curious. <laughs> uh, perhaps, perhaps I did. Um, I've been good, as Nick mentioned. Uh, weather here in West Michigan has been pretty nice the past couple of days. I was able to go to Detroit, taking a baseball game for the first time in two years uh, on Friday. Oh, so wow. that was nice. Yeah, nice, was nice, dude. So, the losing effort by the Tigers, but it was still fun to be back in the ballpark regardless so. i mean what can you expect it's the tiger <laughs> they've been good this year bad? we'll save it for the sports uh, <laughs> episode but uh uh they've been good oh, this right, year right, right. they've been good this season um and i was definitely worried that we'd have another an episode go by without a mention of black hammer thanks nick for uh mm-hmm. <laughs> bringing up that book i'm always worried that <laughs> someone will forget that thing exists because we never talk about it um yeah, yeah. So, I, as I said, you might be surprised by something I read this week. And I will, okay. again, put the caveat, I am perpetually like three weeks behind on floppies. So, this might be old news sure. to some people. But I did read Barbaric Number 2. This is the Vault Comics series written by Michael Morkai, Mor- Morchi, sorry, uh, Nathan Gooden uh, on art, uh, colors by Addison Duke and letters by Jim Campbell. This is a sword and sorcery book. This is a, a sort of riff on the Conan Barbarian fantasy uh, type genre, which is something that I dabble in here and there. What's fun uh-huh. about this book is that rather than the typical Conan um, um, story, the main character in this book, Owen the Barbarian, which I love that name, by the way, uh, he <laughs> he is basically, he exchanged his life uh, with a witch or 
in exchange for living longer, he has to always do the right thing. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, in order to save his life, he made a deal where it's like, I'm always going to do the right thing and look out for the little guy. And his sort of begrudgingly, though, begrudgingly, very begrudgingly. And his sort of like, what's the twist? So his uh, his companion, his sort of guide in doing the right thing is a sentient axe that he has that drinks blood (laughs) and basically gets drunk on blood. So it's always looking for Mm -hmm. ways to have Owen slaughter as many people as possible, but always the right people to slaughter. You know, he's not just killing random people. It's bad guys. Right. (laughs) Uh, and also important to know that Owen hates witches because of this. So uh-huh. um, it's really fun. It's convoluted. And really the main goal of the book, again, is to just have sort of these violent confrontations between Owen and the people he's killing. Uh, witty banter between his sentient acts uh, while that's going on. And um, uh-huh. in the first issue, he meets up with a necromancer named Soren. And obviously he's suspicious of her because she's a witch technically and he hates witches. But he's going to help her on her quest to get revenge on an evil priest that held her captive in an abbey because she had these powers. So it turns out that abbey might actually be a portal to hell. So of course there's lots of uh, <laughs> evil demons to slay with your sentient axe. It's ridiculous over the top. It's pretty goofy. And I really love it because of that. If you're going to do sword and sorcery, it's really hard for me to take that stuff seriously. And I think mm-hmm, uh, yeah. Michael Morchi, uh, does a good job of balancing the sort of tropes with the sort of inherent goofiness of them. And uh, Nathan Gooden's artwork is lovely. It's absolutely a beautiful looking book. Uh, I'm really surprised how much I'm enjoying it. Again, it's only two issues in, but I'm glad I took a gamble and picked up these first couple issues. I I never in my life would have thought that you picked this book up, Paul. (laughs) Okay. See, I told you you'd be surprised. To the point. (laughs) (laughs) This sounds pretty good. It's really good. Yeah, I read the first issue of this. I I I enjoyed it as much as everybody on the Discord told me I would. So <laughs> I'm I need to just grab this next issue and read it. I think it's fun stuff. Yeah. Again, so if uh, if you're someone mm-hmm. like me who uh, you know maybe doesn't always love this type of genre stuff, I think it's enough of an interesting twist to keep you engaged. And again, it's a very lovely looking book. So there's that mm-hmm. as well. The other thing I read that I really wanted to talk about technically isn't a comic book, but it is by one of my favorite living cartoonist. That's Queen of the Ring, Wrestling Drawings by Jaime Hernandez from 1980 to 2020. Um, and it's just as the title suggests, it's a collection of illustrations that uh, Love and Rockets cartoonist Jaime Hernandez has done over the past 40 years. And they're all illustrations of female wrestlers. And um, the book was edited by cartoonist Katie Skelly and also features an interview with Jaime where he talks about his love of professional wrestling and why he does these drawings. So unlike his Love and Rockets work, these drawings are basically just like warm-ups for him. They're things that he started to do privately by himself to kind of like warm up or do sketches to kind of get the juices flowing. And he's always been fascinated by uh, women's wrestling, particularly from the 70s and 80s. So he started just drawing these characters. And over the years, he would uh, go back and redraw the same characters, the same wrestlers, sort of give them backgrounds, more or less, like creating characters. Even though it's not a comic, Mm. you see the same character showing up again. There's one woman he keeps drawing named Betty Ray. And Betty Ray looks a lot like Maggie from Love and Rockets, interestingly enough. Yeah. And uh, the way he would draw her, you know, he would do these illustrations that are like the photo spreads in old wrestling magazines. So you have a shot of a wrestler or a shot from a match with a big uh, headline for the article or interview that's going to follow the picture. And through those sort of titles, you kind of get the story of the characters. You know, Betty Ray turns heel at one point and she dyes her hair blonde or she loses the championship or she tells her fans she's never going to give up her crown. And he 
is using the sort of visual language of professional wrestling as a way to practice his drawing style because it's a great way to work on proper anatomy and facial expressions and also to sort of sort of de- develop characters. And this stuff has leaked into Love and Rockets. There are a number of Love and Rockets stories that feature professional wrestlers. He did a whole miniseries called mm-hmm. Woe Nelly, which is about the world of professional women's wrestling. But this book feels very personal. And even in the interview, he really says, like, I never really thought anyone would see these drawings. There's things I did for myself because I like doing them, but I'm putting Mm -hmm. them out in the world and you kind of see his process. You get a lot of interesting sketches that are colored in colored pencils, which is something you don't see in Love and Rockets because it's normally black and white. It's a Mm -hmm. really beautiful book. And if you're interested in Love and Rockets or Jaime's work, or have a, a passing interest in professional wrestling, it's worth looking at because it's a truly, truly loving book. Lovely, lovely looking book in a loving tribute to uh, his interests, which happen to be my same interests. You know, this book lands right in the Venn diagram of right. stuff I like. So uh, right. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad I pre-ordered a copy. It's something I'm going to keep on my shelf and pull out every now and again just to look at. It's, it's a really special book. And I'm glad Jaime and uh, Katie Skelly, you know, put this together for for all us fans to look at. Yeah, I'm, I'm kicking myself for not pre-ordering a copy of this now so like because i'm pretty sure it's sold out on fanagraphics site Um, (laughs) i'm not surprised but i did i did skim through uh, i think they they sent over a pdf of it uh, the fanagraphics folks did um and man it's it's gorgeous on the inside yeah i i desperately want to get a copy of this myself like (laughs) and i'm not a huge like you know i'm a hernandez fan by any means you know i don't i don't read like everything but i i do really appreciate all the art of his that i've seen like that love bunglers book that i I picked up uh Mm -hmm. still sits on my shelf i love just pulling that book out just to look at some of his just the, the way this that dude does faces and like body expressions is yeah. is unparalleled in some ways and it's so simple but it's so perfect at the same time uh so i'll have to maybe i'll try to find a copy of this sometime <laughs> in the future yeah yeah like i said it, it, if you are interested in that stuff again he's drawing action shots so it's a lot of anatomy it's a lot of facial expressions you get the characters coming mm-hmm. through these single images it's Again, a testament to his skill as a cartoonist, if nothing else. So, and of for course, sure. because I for pre-ordered sure. it, I got a nice signed book plate from Jaime. So, you know, not to brag oh, or anything, but yeah, oh, Paul. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I read, Mike. How how have you been? Yeah, I I've been you know all over the place. You know, I you know the biggest letdown of my entire week uh, was I went to the grocery store. I picked up some some store brand sparkling water uh and it turns out it's so sweet i can barely drink it you know i can't believe it i bought (laughs) two liters of it and i'm just kicking myself i can't believe it man but uh you know on top of that it's uh it's been a pretty chill week chill weekend i play a lot of mario golf fell deep down the rabbit hole of the Substack stuff i honestly would love to just do a whole episode about that in the future so we'll we'll see uh you know if, if you're not caught up on the world of of comic books in terms of everyone screaming on the internet a handful of creators such as james tinian who else john hickman jip sadarsky was the latest one and uh who else uh, saladin ahmed uh, all took deals or grants with uh Substack, which is like the newsletter service uh and th- to basically create comics and how they're going to distribute them and all this other stuff is still kind of up in the air there's questions of like when are they going to print them how are they going to print them a lot of things to talk about and i uh have just been heads down into it because i i absolutely love this idea of people trying new things in the distribution side of comic books and you know there's a lot of questions about ethics and how you know you have to pay so much money to get access to this stuff i got a lot of thoughts on it so maybe (laughs) we'll we'll bring this up at the hangout or something we'll see but as far as comics are concerned, um, I did read a handful of things. I've been 
blasting through it chapters of uh, Jujutsu Kaisen. I'm not that far, but I've been trying to read 10 to 20 chapters a week. Um, so that's doing all right. Uh, but I did read uh, Runaways number 38. This is the final issue of Runaways with the legacy numbering of 100, which I was like, what the fuck is the point, Marvel? Um, this is <laughs> Rainbow Rowell's storyline that she's been she's been writing for a while with uh, Andres Genolet uh, and Adrian Elfona and Chris Anka on art throughout the book. I think those latter two artists just did the last two pages uh, or last few pages. But uh, yeah, this is the last issue of Rainbow Rowell's run. And I'm devastated because Runaways is done for the foreseeable future. Um, it's it's this has been like by far a the most perfect Marvel comic book run that I've ever read, if only because of the combination of nostalgia and actual genuine love for uh, the characters of the Runaways series. I think like if you're someone that doesn't want to read or leave the big two and also get some serious, well-crafted uh, drama and teen storytelling that doesn't feel like like, hey, man, you want to go hit my vape and then you go do a kickflip like it's not like <laughs> teens, you know, adults writing about teens that mm-hmm. don't understand them. Um, I think Rainbow Rowell's done a fantastic job of picking up where Brian K. Vaughn, Joss Whedon and other creators have left off. Um, I will say if you want to read all of these, there's like a hundred issues of Runaways that you can read. The earlier stuff is kind of rough. There's some mixed okay storylines that end up all pulling the threads from those stories all get pulled into this Rainbow Rowell run that is absolutely wonderful. So you can't really get to the super fantastic story that is Rowell's run until you read the older stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But for a hundred issues, I think it's totally worth it. And there's not a lot of like big continuity crossover, even though those characters showed up in different crossover events. Um, They really have stayed contained to their own little kind of story, which I, I appreciate. Um, yeah, I, I just love this run. And I think that starting with Chris Anka on art when when the series started and then moving to Andres uh, Genelet has been a fantastic transition. Both of those artists are stupendously talented. Um, and it's disgusting how beautiful this book is. Like every character feels modern. They feel like someone that you would expect lives in the world of 2021 or 2020 or 2019. You know, whenever the book was coming out, like the fashion works, the just the mannerisms, the jokes, they all feel very much of the time in a way that feels authentic rather than cringy um so yeah I, I really love this i'm sad to see runaways end but i'm also glad that the story ended in such a wonderful way like for some reasons with enough threads still left open that a creator could pick up where some of the pieces that Raul left and still tell a really interesting story by wrapping up those those bits <laughs> um yeah can't can't express my love enough for the runaways series because it's just wonderful i've always been kind of interested in that stuff because again it's i've never read a lot of x-men stuff but it seems like everyone I know who's a lapsed comic book fan, somebody who read comics who were younger than stopped for a while, they've all somehow read Runaways and they all love it. So it's one of those books <laughs> that has like crossover appeal and like anyone who's sort of mildly interested in comics or has a history with comics sort of like loves that series. So I, one of these days I'll just sit down and, and, well, and read it's, it. It's so interesting because the Runaways book, it's so like on its own, you know, like in the same mm-hmm. way that sometimes, you know, X-Men feels so on its own yeah. compared to the rest of the Marvel universe. Yeah, yeah. And the Runaways doesn't have 20 spin out books. They just have the one book. Gotcha. So like, it, I think the appeal of it is that it's just straightforward. Like it's a straightforward read of series and there's all the renumbering problems and all that other stuff. Hence the legacy 100 <laughs> issue and all that shit. Right. But, yeah. um, nonetheless, you can go find all of the runaways volumes, stack them all together, read them in order from publication date, and mm-hmm. you'd be fine. You wouldn't have gotcha. to worry about, did I have to read X factor after X men? And then uncanny X men takes place when like, right. there's none of that confusion. Gotcha. It all takes place chronologically. And I think that's like a huge appeal <laughs> when it comes to big two books. Cause you still get to see 
the Avengers, you still get Spider-Man sometimes. The X-Men sometimes make a, you know, a thing. Um, and I think when Brian K. Vaughn devised these characters, he wanted to touch on everything in the Marvel Universe without being involved gotcha. in the rest of the yeah. Marvel Universe. Like one of the characters is a mutant. The other character is an alien from Kree's scroll space. Another character is, you know, has like the magic side of things. So you get to touch into like magic and Doctor Strange. And, you know, there's just a kid who travels through time. And then there's like it's it's really, really smart. It's it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I can't can't express my love for this series enough. Um but yeah, uh, the other thing I want to talk about really quick here uh, before we get into comic picks is I read the one shot that came out from Shonen Jump uh, Bleach New Bre- new Breaths or Breathes. I can't I don't know how to read that new Breathes from Hell. Um, this is by Tite Kubo, uh, who is the creator of Bleach. And uh, I don't know what it is. Honestly, this story didn't make a lot of sense to me because I couldn't tell you who was who or what was happening because I haven't read Bleach in a very long time. Um, and so they kept calling out all these characters and all these things that you like implied had happened and characters got together or they separated or whatever. And I was like, okay, fine. Just get the big swords out and fight. That's all that I want out of this because that's what Bleach is. Big swords and fighting and cool, beautiful art artistry. And we did get that. We got a little bit of that in this book. And that's all that I want. So I was very happy to just have Bleach back in my life. And I think there's like, again, a com- <laughs> combination of, uh, yeah, I know that's a weird phrase, I guess, if you take it out of context. Um, but I was very happy to have the Bleach manga series back in my there life yeah. um, because <laughs> seeing Tite Kubo's art or Tite Kubo's art again um, really just like struck a nostalgic chord for me because Bleach was one of the first anime that I got into and, you know, beyond Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z and I forget how wonderful that guy's art is. He draws in such a way that makes me look at all the other manga that I'm reading and go, this is not as good, period. Um, and I understand why Bleach was one of the big three over at Shonen Jump for a while. Like it was One Piece, Naruto, and Bleach. Those were the biggest series coming out. And um, Bleach, unfortunately, had like some bad story stuff that just went the wrong direction. And I could do a whole episode on that. But to see that, artists art again in that same world was just stunning to me and i'm I'm so happy that that came out because it was just a nice little like reminder of how great it is and i think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna reread bleach after i finish jujutsu kaisen i'm gonna read bleach and i'm just gonna take it all in for the bad and the good so (laughs) sorry everyone uh (laughs) could you tell me why it's called bleach i need someone to once and for all explain I think it's called Bleach because the main character's hair is orange. And, you know, if you dye someone's hair who is like very dark or like, you know, black or brown, it turns not yellow. It turns an orangish color. Um, and our main uh, character's name is Ichigo. And yeah, so okay. um, it's a whole thing. It That's that's all that it is, Nick. Sometimes the title of the manga makes no sense. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, Anyways, let's let's move on. Uh, we're going to run a little long here. So let's jump into our comic picks for the week. Comics are dropping on August 18, 2021. What are you both excited for this week? I'm going to jump back to you, Nick. So for me, it's definitely got to be um, the one and only Lazarus Risen number six. Uh, for those who don't care or who weren't keeping score, uh, Lazarus did decide um, like two years ago that they were going to changed the name of the book from Lazarus to Lazarus Risen. I'm not really sure what the logic is there. Um, it certainly hasn't felt like there's, there hasn't been like an artistic team change and there hasn't been like a story shift, at least in my mind. 
Um, so I just, maybe it was just a renaming for renaming, even though Greg Rucka doesn't strike me as a big two gimmicky, we got to find a new way to get the youths to buy my book sort of thing. Sure. Um, anyway, this is written by Greg Rucka, art by Michael Lark, uh, colors by Santiago Argus, uh, letters by Simon Boland. I guess I'm just really, really happy to still be getting this book. Like, it's taken two and a half years for this book to even hit the half di- half dozen issue count. Mm-hmm. Um, but that shouldn't be surprising considering there's only been 40 issues of Lazarus over eight years to begin with. So, <laughs> and, you know. I forget that. That, that know, book's been coming out for eight years. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's it, it was a month you know, month to month book, even though obviously those deadlines weren't initially hit. And then with Risen, and maybe this is the biggest thing that Risen is really just meant to signify, uh, the book did shift to a quarterly schedule. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I still love this book, despite the fact that it is it is quarterly now. Uh, the issues are seven ninety nine, uh, and it's got a f- fairly lengthy prose section, at least lengthy as far as comics go, uh, in each issue. And like normally for me, that those would probably start to be real deal breakers, but I love this book so much. It is one of, if not the most um, sort of amazingly realized examples of world building that I've seen in comics. Yeah. The socio-political future that it painted eight or nine years ago has sort of been on a collision course with our modern day in ways that (laughs) might be really uncomfortable. And (laughs) just ask Greg Rucka, who literally, took something of a break from writing it when he realized he was no longer depicting a world decades or centuries away. Um, I won't get into the plot for those of you who don't read it. It won't make any sense for those of you who are behind. It might start to spoil things. Uh, All I have to say beyond that is like, yes, I think it's a harder book to read these days. I think it would be not anything remotely close to escapism for anybody. Um, (laughs) But yeah. it remains an absolutely amazing book. And like I said, it the universe created here is just unbelievable. And Michael Lark's art is just I, I know the the Nick White list of underrated pencilers has now reached a point where ninety-five percent of all pencilers have gotten on the <laughs> list, therefore mm-hmm. making it null and void. Um, but that aside Michael Lark put him on the list too. <laughs> is he actually I mean, rapidly <laughs> rolling around the block seven times long scroll that could go to the moon and back a couple times? <laughs> list of underrated pencilers, yes. But you were saying, Paul, is he underrated? Like I think he's a pretty well known and celebrated pencilist. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I think certainly like what like GCPD, right? He was a big deal yeah. then, and he yeah. obviously did that graphic novel with um. I forget what it's called. It's the one with like the he's got the revolver on the front and it's smoking and he's got like the broken nose and I scene of the crime. The yeah. yeah, but like I, I'm amazed he's still on Lazarus at this point because I feel like Lazarus is comparatively a pretty like I'm amazed Lazarus is still a book. Sure, I okay. feel like it's low sense. profile enough at this point yeah. that you know I, I it's it's weird. I think if you if you're calling Michael Lark. Not to harp on this anymore, but if you're calling Michael Lark underrated, it might just be because he's only been on this one book for yes. eight years. <laughs> right. Exactly. I agree. Yeah. He's been on what I would say is at this point kind of a 
somewhat under the radar book Mm -hmm. and so i i'm still amazed he's on it because i yeah i'm amazed nobody has coaxed him to something else Mm-hmm. for yeah. a prolonged period of time good point well if you i mean if, if you don't we don't have to necessarily get too deep into it but they had moved to the quarterly schedule to give michael some breathing room and potentially allow him to do other things on top of lazarus because yeah. it was like i'm doing this one book and it's kind of getting old guys um <laughs> but yeah i do i do want him danny's saying i hope if michael lark can make a living from just this good for him and i totally agree yeah so yep. i'm wondering yep. if there's more to this like story in terms of like why these two have continued to work on this one book together Mm -hmm. but uh yeah that's a whole whole other discussion topic i think uh but let's so paul what are you excited for this (laughs) upcoming week i'm excited for crisis zone this is the new ogn from simon hanselman uh who you may know from other (laughs) other books such as megan mog those those stories in mega hex one more year bad gateway um this mm-hmm. is a new book that's coming out from Fantagraphics. We actually got a preview copy, so I'm about 50 pages into it. It's a big book, so uh, it's going to take me a while to get through mm-hmm. it. What's also interesting is uh, Hanselman's also been serializing this material on his Instagram account, so I've been following that for a while mm-hmm. as well. Oh. Uh, so it's kind of an interesting uh, experiment. I was following it on Instagram, then finally getting a copy, a preview copy to look at. It's a different enough experience that I think if you are familiar with the Instagram stuff, it's worth picking up the book to check it out. Um Long story short, if you're familiar with his work, you know, uh, the characters Meg and Mog, Owl, Werewolf Jones, mm-hmm. they're all pretty deplorable people uh, who are only interested in yeah. uh, self-pleasure, getting stoned, um, all sorts of very, very adult uh, stuff that they do. Um, but this book was written during the quarantine last year, and it basically has those characters trying to navigate the uh, unsettling and unpredictable world of 2020. And oh my God. what's really interesting is that you would think revisiting that would be depressing, uh, but it's very easy to relate to what these characters are going through at the same time laughing at them because mm-hmm. they're so selfish and self-centered. You know what I mean? Like you don't feel bad mm-hmm. for them. There are some very serious heavy moments in the book, but at the same time, you can't really feel bad for these characters that are doing these horrible things all the time. So you're able to yeah. kind of step back and laugh at the situation, which honestly is kind of needed sometimes. So um, what's yeah. also really interesting, again, because it's serialized on Instagram, there's a design to the book where it is every panel is the same size and every page is a 12 panel grid. So there's mm-hmm. a monotony and a mm. repetition to it that I think somewhat symbolizes the monotony of everyday life during 2020 during quarantine you know and so i think seeing the pages laid out that way is a really effective way to give the story a rhythm and a forward momentum uh, at the same time it feeling sort of repetitious and monotonous Um, i'm really impressed by this book i've read a few other things by by simon hanselman i'm really enjoying this one um Again, it's very adult, <laughs> lots of uh, frank uh, <laughs> graphic sexual encounters, lots of drug use. But if you want something that might make you laugh about everything we went through last year, I think it's a nice, relatable book um, that is sort of cathartic in that that regard. So I'm, en- I'm enjoying reading it yeah. right now. I'm excited to finish it. I'm I'm yeah. just amazed when you led with the fact that this book is called Crisis Zone, and then it wasn't <laughs> like a big two event because like right. I felt like that was somebody pulling the lever on the the naming device for big two <laughs> event, like the name generator for big two events. Exactly. And then you're like, this is a Megan Bog Megan Mog book. I'm like, what the fuck? Uh, exactly. The skies are red for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, 
There's a crisis. <laughs> oh, dude, there's a deep cut. <laughs> Jesus. Um, you know, Paul, it's really funny. Last week on the show, I actually read through all of the previous Megan Mog books. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I had read one of them before, and I was like, you know, I'm just gonna read everything because I I love that like that awfulness sometimes. Yes. Um, yeah. just just how awful those characters are. It's very fun to laugh at and yes. experience, even even with the serious moments kind of cut in. Mm-hmm. Um, these characters are so bad, and it's just <laughs> fun to watch them fail. Like sometimes, so um. I'm very excited to actually pick this up and read it. I need to I need to dig through that that copy that we got. But uh, yeah. yeah, I'm very excited to just grab this when it comes out because it's Simon Hanselman does something very special with this book and it's consistently gross and consistently <laughs> solid every single time I read one of his books. So exactly. uh, I'm glad yeah. to hear that this one continues the trend. <laughs> very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me this week, I am excited for, I guess before I get into it, we had dis, uh, Discord pick. Danny's hanging out with us today on the Discord. Uh, his pick is The Trial of Magneto number one, which almost was my pick, except that I am super excited for home number five. Uh, this is Julio Anta with Pencils and Inks by Anna. I, I don't know how to say Polish last names. Can someone help me with this? Anna Wiesik? I'm just going to go yeah. with that. Brian Valenza on colors with letters by Hassan Atzman Elhau. Uh, every issue of this book is better than the last, so my expectations for this next issue are very, very high. Uh, the story of Juan, a migrant child separated from his mom, broken out from the U.S. detention center, hiding with his aunt uh, with new powers, just floors me. I, I am so impressed with how on the nose this book is about the immigration problem here in the United States and the absolute racism that is ingrained in the U.S. immigration system, uh, especially with people coming from south of the United States. I love the the metaphors that are in this book as well as just the like point blank, like, this is fucked upness of the book. Um, and of course, this little kid Juan getting these fire powers that allow him to just blow things up um, adds this crazy thing to the mix of are these people trying to hunt him down because he's an immigrant? Are they trying to hunt him down because he has these powers? What does it mean for someone who has these powers who's been living in the United States like his aunt? Uh, sorry, minor spoilers there. Um, who has to hide who she really is from everybody else? Like, there's layers to this book that I, I really, really enjoy. And issue four was fantastic. I'm so excited for the last issue of this series. Um, so I hope everybody, you know, maybe if you didn't take a chance on the single issues on this, I really hope everybody takes a chance on the volume when it gets co- when it comes out um, probably later this year because this is a, a wonderful book. Super glad some of the folks on the Discord turned me on to this because trying that number one, I was like, okay, this this sounds pretty good. And each issue has just been better and better and better so um really loving this highly recommend it if anybody is out there looking for something um short and sweet um because this book is serious but very entertaining all at the same time so um yeah Hmm. that's my pick for this week nice uh yeah let's let's take a quick quick break though um because i need some water but also we're going to be talking about dollar bin comics bargain comic books so um we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to dig into that This week on I Read Comic Books, we are going to be talking about, I, I don't know, like a, a very near and dear topic to Paul's heart, at least. <laughs> yes, this is yes. finding and digging through bargain bins and finding those gems and just random comics. I think each of us, Paul, Nick, and my, myself, we've all read something that we grabbed in like a bargain bin or a sale or for really, really cheap. Um, but I guess like to get to the, the core of this, 
Paul, what's what's your love for bargain bin hunting? Where where does that stem from? Uh, I am a notorious cheapskate, first of all. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> well, no, there is something really satisfying, I think, about just digging through back issue bins in general. Sometimes you're looking for something specific. Sometimes you're going to find something surprising you didn't expect. And I really love the idea of the dollar bin or the bargain bin because it's such a low entry point to find stuff and I'm more willing to gamble on something random that way. And there's the added sort of addictive quality of you never know, you might find a gem. You might find that one issue you've been looking for. They can't be able to find mm-hmm. you're going to find it for a dollar. You know, to find you're like putting one over on the big the big two, like gotcha. You know what I mean? I, I snuck one by. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, I fooled you. Um, no, there is something I find very cathartic and welcoming about just digging through stuff. Sure, there's a lot of crap in dollar bins. There's a lot of unsold issues of uh, Young Blood. I don't know. Uh, the death of Superman, Shadowhawk, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, a lot of bad '90s comics in there these days. But every once in a while, you might find something that you didn't know existed that catches your eye, and you're going to spend a dollar and try it. Or you find something you've been looking for for a while, or maybe a book you haven't been able to find other places. And that moment to me is so much more satisfying than sometimes finding something digitally. Again, I think sure. the sort of streaming services we have now, like Marvel Unlimited and DC Universe, they've kind of rendered this kind of this aspect of comic book collecting somewhat obsolete, you know, because you can pretty much find anything you want. Obviously there, there's gaps in what they've uploaded, but yeah. for the most part, if you're trying to find a random back issue, you can find it on there. Uh, but to me, there is something about that experience of just the, the thrill of coming across something. It's like those dudes on the beach with their metal detectors, you know, you never know what you might find. So <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah. of times it's going to be a handful of pennies, but sometimes you're going to find that gold doubloon, you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then it's going to turn out that you have to give that comic book back to the museum that someone had stole it from 40 years ago. Is that is that not what we're talking about? I think you've stretched the metaphor too far at that point. But oh, uh, okay, okay, I see. <laughs> and that, so yeah, for if I've talked about it on the show before, I love going to my local shop and just digging through. When I see that there's a new uh, long box of new dollar bin stuff they've put out, I like to dig through that. Whenever I'm at mm-hmm. a comic con, there's always going to be those places that are just liquidating stuff. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I was at a con and their dollar bins were basically, you know, half off. So 50 cents. And I think even there was a discount. If you bought more than 10, you got more off, whatever. And mm-hmm. I found the whole run of Howard Chaikin's American flag first pressings in the dollar bin. I was pretty thrilled because it's a book I already had read digitally, but having the physical copies with the ads, you know, just to have it for a right. low, low price point, that's only 12 issues, got them for, you know, 50 cents each. That was pretty thrilling. So Stuff yep. like that. I've cobbled together my run of Grant Morrison Doom Patrol out of dollar bins. I think I talked about that in the show. So it has more value to me mm-hmm. than just buying the trades, you know, because I found these issues randomly. So yeah, yeah, that's kind of my personal experience with dollar bins. And I was kind of curious what you guys do, because I know you've been reading comics for a long time. You loved going to the shops, but do you find yourself just elbow deep in those dollar bins sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Nick, I'll, maybe I'll let you get started because I've got <laughs> I've got thoughts about just and, and mistakes that I've made that I want to get into. But <laughs> sure. uh, I'm curious to know your thoughts before I dig into my past uh, horrors. Yeah, absolutely. I think like a lot of people within the last year or so, uh, it's it was obviously difficult for quite a while there to get into a shop or really feel comfortable going in and doing anything other than um either you know meeting someone at the curb getting your comics and leaving or you know coming in paying and 
heading out the door. Um, mm-hmm. So like the idea of, you know, browsing the idea of bro- the idea, the idea of browsing in general seems <laughs> like a pretty foreign concept for for all shopping experiences. Uh, you know, sure. for quite a while there. Uh, CDC, get in, get out, leave. Okay. Um, so you know, I haven't had a lot of those experiences recently. I certainly, you know, used to do it a decent amount here and there, even though. Um, being a relatively newer-ish reader, and by that I mean like 2010, mm-hmm. um, you know, I certainly wasn't uh, that eager to go back and, and read older things. Um, certainly when I got into Valiant, there was kind of an added appeal of finding some of that stuff. And, and I did find some of that, which was just wild because like Valiant put out like a 17 part event called Unity which spanned like 12 different books it was just and I tried to collect some of that but um but for me yeah the the physical bins not the biggest thing for me in the world but I'll tell you what I miss 100% like the one thing about physical bargain bin issues you don't get it anywhere else I miss it the most it's it's the ads and specifically it's the video game ads. Of like, course. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Honestly, if you want to talk about just getting hit with a pure like concussive force of nostalgia, it's like Nintendo video game print ads. I know I've said this a million times. I'm just going to keep saying it until someone else wills it into existence because I won't. Someone get me the coffee table book of Nintendo mm-hmm. video game ads in comics and magazines because that's just it, it every time it brings me back so much and so dollar bins and that sort of stuff they they that's the big thing for me above and beyond <laughs> anything else it's like yeah. experiencing experiencing all of the consumerism of your childhood and the things <laughs> you couldn't have or your parents wouldn't let you have uh, I, I'm gonna write this down right now I think that yeah. we we should make like an IRCB effort like to do a zine style but full color print like edition where we ask people to like send in their old comics that have ads that they think are just ludicrous in them yeah and we'll get get like a high-res scanner with like a you know like a money guarantee that we're not going to damage your comic and stuff I mean let's not all that that stuff in yeah sure but let's let's scan it all in and then we can make it into a book I I'm gonna think on this I love that idea. idea Like uh, any any of the ads for like all of all of the like the bad boy Sega ads where they're like Sega does what Nintendo and then like Sonic sure. is smoking a bong or something and, <laughs> and uh, <Yeah. laughs> you know uh, <laughs> and like like uh, like all of the ones for Kool Aid where you you they're like you know get the fifty Kool Aid points and you can. And you can and you can get Metroid Two for the Game Boy. I always remember that one. It was like you had you had to you had to drink like Lake Placid worth of Kool Aid, but then you would get this. And I was always like, "Oh my god, these guys are crazy!" Like I got to get my hands on some Kool Aid points. <laughs> um, you know? Yeah. I, just, I mean, uh, I think you I did kind it. of nail, you you really nailed something there, Nick. There is a nostalgia to it, you know. And as someone that started reading comics and he was. You know, I started reading comics as probably like six or seven. So like I have a very mm-hmm. uh, visceral connection to the physical medium, the 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 look of the newsprint, the look, the way the colors are absorbed by the, the page. 
the ads, you know, all that stuff. So like digging through dollar bins, that is for me like a very nostalgic experience. And it's also a way for me to find all the comics that I used to have in the 90s that I sold after I graduated high school. So I have a lot right. of random issues of Gen 13. I've pulled out dollar bins. I'm never going to read them. But there's something about that nostalgia rush. Of like, oh, yeah, I used to have this one. Or, or if I'm kicking myself for selling my copy of Superman 75, don't worry, gang. It's littering your local dollar bin boxes. If you want to find an issue where Superman dies, you don't have to throw a quarter very far to find it in a dollar bin. So, or a quarter right. bin for that matter. Yeah. And it's such a weird experience because like you have these connections with books that maybe you didn't have the full run as a kid. Yeah. Maybe if, I mean, I like, I think it was like shadows of the empire, like the star Wars comic. Like I didn't have the whole run. Like I didn't understand what that meant. Like mm-hmm. my dad randomly bought me the third issue in the middle in the middle of the arc. And, you know, mm-hmm. these days right. I'd be like, what were you fucking thinking, dad? Like, what the <laughs> hell? Can't do anything with this. This isn't a full run. Uh, this isn't even a standalone issue. What's wrong and, with and you? The, and then but, Nick stomps back down to the basement, slams yeah. the door yeah. and says, I'm yeah. not coming up for dinner. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You're a full grown adult now, right? Yeah. <laughs> but like... It's weird because when you encounter those comics again, like you've you've read them, you read them so many times as a kid that it's like you know the whole story, like you remember the whole thing, like page for page for page. And it doesn't necessarily need to be something that's good, right? You just remember it and that act of like, oh my god, like I, you know, this whole thing, I remember this, like that's it's yeah. it's interesting. So that part of of bargain bins is, I mean, I I value that part a lot, and but. it's something that you really can't recreate digitally. I mean that 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 experience to me is very specific and very satisfying in a way that yeah, buying stuff digitally will never be as as often as I try to do that. Sometimes to fill in random issues that I don't have, it, it's still never the same. So, Mike, you've been silent. I want to hear your thoughts. I've been waiting. Uh yeah. I I mean I. I mostly just am listening in because I feel like I don't I don't have that experience right gotcha. of yeah. of having read as a, as a younger kid and and that stuff because I didn't really get into comics until I was like an older teen. Uh-huh. Um, but no, that being said, you know when I first got into it, I remember just being I, I don't want to say overwhelmed so much as it was just excited to see the number of comics that were available to buy right sure. and mm-hmm. i i've used to dig through bargain bins just to see what the hell was out there like because i didn't know and i i feel like even today you start you dig through bargain bins and you don't necessarily know what's all going to be in there and i know there are some people out there with like encyclopedic knowledge of everything and at this point in life you know i've been breeding and absorbing comic book knowledge and culture for so long that it's like oh yeah i've definitely heard of that team or i've heard of that run or you know this comic maybe i don't know the team but i know that who's on the book uh, or what characters are in the book and stuff but you know i still i find it interesting and like nick said i haven't done this in a while but i used to go to cons just to like browse through old you know golden silver age comics and and browse through you know even comics from like the 80s and 90s and just to be like whoa what the hell is this thing um i mean like my my one real experience where i i went a little ape shit on this was Uh-oh. there was a there was a sale at a comic book shop i was at with i brought a couple friends because that was the thing i always did i would go to the comic shop and then eventually i would bring all my friends and that the comic book shop people would love that because you're getting more faces in there and everybody feels obligated to buy something for the most part or whatever or they have a passing interest in something and they just want to buy a comic. 
And so they were doing this sale. It was like a big sale weekend. So I was going to go anyways to pick up my comics. And uh, I brought in some friends and a buddy of mine who was like dabbling in comics. And now he he's the type of person that like he doesn't just go in a little bit. He always has to go in like triple, quadruple, you know, what you'd expect. And so because of that, I have an addictive personality Uh in that regard. So like he was we're standing there and they're doing this big sale and they're like, oh, if you were doing this thing that if you just buy a full long box of comics without mixing and matching, we'll just give it to you for a set dollar amount. I think it was like a hundred bucks, right? hundred bucks for like 200 comics essentially is what it came down to or however many fit in a long box. And these weren't, this wasn't like tightly packed, but there was probably about 150, maybe 200 comics in there. And so we kind of browsed through a little bit and the guy was like, you can't, you can't go through every single thing. He was like, he's like, just take a look. And if you like what you see just out of the handful of pulls, that's fine. You just can't mix and match, but don't go through every single thing. He's like, just where you got these 20 or 30 boxes we're trying to sell. You just buy them. We're like, okay, fuck it. In my mind, I was like, you know what? Some of these are probably going to be garbage. What I'll do is I'll take them out. And I'll like, in my mind, I was thinking I was going to be super creative. I was like, yeah, I'll rip them up and cut them up and make a table or something, you know, something cool out of it with like, (laughs) that never happened. And the funny thing about it. So my friend and I, we go in on this thing. And to this day, I don't know where those comics are. (laughs) Like, perfect. We bought the comics, loaded them back in the back of my car. And we drove them back to his apartment because we were both in college and he had more room than I did. And they just sat in his room for the year and then the next year. And then he graduated college and he took the comics with him. I, I don't know if he still has them, but like every once in a while, he will mention, I still have those comics. And the real reason I wanted to get it is because there was a full run of New Warriors in it. Like nice. an old, old, maybe it was like the first or second run of New Warriors. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, fuck it. New Warriors are kind of a cool team at the time. It's what I thought he said. <laughs> um, and I... I, I remember just being like, yeah, let's do this thing and we'll split it up. You take this half. I want this run and then a couple of random issues. I have not looked at those books since we bought them in the shop. Um, <laughs> but I remember being excited because I was like, oh, look, we're going to have all these old comics and it's going to be cool. Maybe there's something that's, you know, you know, a diamond in the rough kind mm-hmm. of thing, because that was like the exciting thing is like, maybe I'll get a key issue. Maybe I'll get something that's like super cool and it's just beat up and who cares? I'll just have this cool issue at my house. Yeah. Um, but I still don't know where those comics are. <laughs> uh, my guess is that they're at my buddy's basement in Indiana. But who knows how, when I'm going to get to Indiana with enough storage capacity to bring those back to New Jersey. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> right. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, I do, huh. do I do some some digging through the bins when I go to cons and stuff, just because it's interesting. Like I grabbed a couple Jimmy Olsen books at the last con I was at mm-hmm. um, that it were by had you know, art by Jack Kirby because like that's cool just to have an original Jack Kirby comic book in sure. my house. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm never really looking for anything. I think I gave up on that endeavor a long time ago, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, it's the returns might be diminishing sometimes, you know, but like I said, every once in a while you'll find something worthwhile. I mean, I have a complete yeah. run of Kirby's OMAC from the seventies cause I found mm-hmm. issues two through eight in the dollar bin. And then I was able to buy like a, a decently conditioned copy of number one for like five bucks. So it's like, sure. You're probably thinking, don't you already own that in trade and digitally? Of course I do. But I also have the single sure. issues, you know, with the original ads and all that stuff. So right. Uh, right. it's worth it for that. And if you're able to get that stuff for a dollar, you know, why not? So I've never really dabbled too much in uh, the Marvel Limited or DC Universe stuff. But I they do have like a random button, I believe. I don't know if either of you mm-hmm. have experienced that where you can be like, I want to read oh. a random issue and it'll bring up something from the archives, which might be the closest you can come to that same sort of experience, I guess. 
Right. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think to your point, Paul, like the the Marvel Unlimited, DC Unlimited stuff has kind of. I don't want to say completely gotten rid of the idea of bargain bin hunting and just randomly grabbing books. But at the same time, there is nothing there's nothing more fun than just digging through a book, a bargain bin and finding a weird cover and being like, what the hell is this? And just kind of grabbing it on a whim because it's a buck. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a really interesting thing to me that I think in my mind, it's becoming more and more finite. It's becoming smaller and smaller every year, every time we go to a convention, because those old comics, there are only so many of them. And new comics are so overprinted in some capacities that it feels like those new comics just end up filling up all the bins. And then you have to start going to specialty places where they've got everything like half slabbed or in like super plastic and stuff. And it kind of gets rid of that, that I just want to get this beat up copy of Superman 196. I don't even know what's happening in that issue, but like, let's just see what's happening. Um, Yeah. But, you know, the Marvel Unlimited DC Infinite stuff is interesting. But again, it's I don't think it's the same experience because hitting a random button is not the same as like pressing your finger into a bunch of different books and just kind of yeah. weaving through them and seeing what you can find. Yeah, exactly. And you kind of you kind of have to know what you're looking for in that regard. And half the fun of just digging through the bins is the surprise of finding random stuff. So, yeah, like you said, yeah, it's funny. Uh, Dan- I just, Danny's. Oh, go ahead. Uh, real quick, Danny's got a point in here. He says, I think with Marvel Unlimited and DC Infinite, the cool thing is you read something old, and if you like it, now you can look for the physical copy of it. <laughs> I think there that's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, I mean, God help you if you, it ends up being like a famous number one. But yeah, I totally agree <laughs> with that. I think that's really funny. Yeah. I mean, I kind of do the same thing where I don't listen to a lot of music digitally. I have Spotify to occasionally, if something new's coming out, I can list a couple of tracks to decide if I want to buy the physical copy. You know what I mean? Because I still prefer mm-hmm. physical media. So... I can see that's yeah. that's a similar point there. And uh, to your story, Mike, I had a similar experience once where my local shop had ran a deal where you could you could dig through the dollar bins and fill up a long box for a hundred bucks. So you got nice. to you got to decide what you're buying. So I was picking everything. So me and a couple of the friends, we all pitched in, you know, thirty three bucks or whatever to split the hundred. And we just spent mm-hmm. like an afternoon digging through, just trying to fill up this long box of like random dollar bin stuff. I still have mm-hmm. all those comics and they've just been sitting in a short box in my closet. I very rarely <laughs> dig in there, but I did today. I For today's episode, I did reach into that long, that short box of random dollar comics to read something right. to talk about. It- so it's nice to just have that little short box of unknown <laughs> comics when you're like really craving that feeling of a local comic shop you could just mm-hmm. go oh what's in here in this box of comics that i haven't looked at in five years yeah exactly <laughs> and you know i have it you know i have it for collage material but also the same thing where it's like hey maybe i just want to read something random and i can't put any thought mm-hmm. into looking up what i want to read or i'm avoiding you know the daunting stack of to read stuff hey i'll grab yeah. this copy of secret origins number 46 I bought for a dollar several years ago. So, yeah. Is that what you read then for today? I mean, I know today we were going to talk about like a random issue that we read, which we don't necessarily have to, but I am curious to know about (laughs) this because this sounds wild. Yes, this is, uh, I did read this for today. I found it a few years ago in the dollar bin and I was actually kind of excited uh, to find it. It was one of those things where it's like, wasn't exactly looking for it, but I kind of knew what it was. So it was kind of a thrill to find it in the dollar bin. Uh, this is Secret Origins number 46 from DC Comics. This is from December of 1989. Uh, so, Nick, there's an awesome Turbo Graphics, Turbo Graphics 16 ad on the back cover, just so you know. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, so, for those of you that don't know, Secret Origins was a series that DC did, and the title is pretty self-explanatory. Every issue would have the origin story of two or three different characters, 
Uh, they're usually themed issues. And the theme for issue 46, you would get the secret origins of superhero headquarters. So we get the origin of the original Justice League headquarter in Happy Harbor, Rhode Island. Uh, that mm-hmm. story is written by Grant Morrison with art by Kurt Swan, which is pretty amazing. We get the origin of the Titans Tower. That's written by Marv Wolfman with art by Vince Guerrero. And um, we get the origin of the Legion Clubhouse, the Legion of Superheroes Clubhouse. That's written, unfortunately, by Gerard Jones, but art by Kurt Swan. Um, that story, if nothing else, is notable for being the first appearance of Arm Fall Off Boy. Uh, <laughs> his powers, <laughs> his arms can fall off. So that's some good okay. Legion stuff. Okay. Um, honestly, this issue is worth tracking down for the Grant Morrison story. Uh, of course, I would say that. But what Morrison does is write a really solid silver age story um, about how the justice league found their mountain headquarters in Rhode Island and why they decided to, to move in there. And it turns out there was an alien consciousness in the mountain that was embedded on the rock and it wanted to um, basically the story is the, the, the opening splash page is the justice league. And for this era of the justice league, we're talking Martian Manhunter, black Canary flash Aquaman and green lantern. They're all fighting their own costumes. So their backup costumes had sprung to life (laughs) and been (laughs) inhabited by these alien aliens consciousnesses. And they uh, all congregate on this location in Rhode Island. Turns out that's where the aliens had landed millennia ago. And the memory of that experience, what happened that day, was embedded in the silica deposits in the mountain. And the vibrations of the flash triggered that memory so the aliens could see their uh, dead compatriots and say a farewell to them. So after that, Mm -hmm. the Legion decided, hey, you know what? This is a pretty nice mountain. We could make our home here. There's some caves. And that's why they decided to set up their headquarters in that mountain. So it's a ridiculous Silver Age story with the sort of Morrisonian sort of uh, twist to it. Kind of a bittersweet story. Um, yeah. So yeah, I would not have read that otherwise if I not found it for a dollar, you know? Hey, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, and that's the thing, like that price point is like unbeatable in a lot of ways, right? Uh, it's it's really interesting because I I do a lot of browsing on Comixology a lot of the time when, uh, not, not every week, but some weeks. Uh, I know I was doing it for a while on the show where I was trying to read a lot of Comixology submit stuff or indie stuff that was not part of like the Big Ten and one of the big things that like will get me to just say, yeah, screw it, let's buy this is the 99 cent price point, whether it's a new comic or an old comic. Um, that price point is just so hard to beat when it comes to getting a new comic book, even if it's only 18 or 22 pages or something like that's great. And this is a full fledged issue that you got for a dollar. So this I mean, is a real issue. And it, it, it again, it's a Grant Morrison story that I don't know have been has been collected anywhere else. You know, that's the other thing. Sometimes huh. there's books that haven't been collected or I don't know if there's ever collected all the secret origin stuff other than digitally on the apps now. So uh, but sure. I have a copy of this weird Grant Morrison story where Aquaman apparently doesn't have a backup costume. So he shows up in his own underwear um, <laughs> to the meeting. So <laughs> there you go. Of course. Fun stuff. Of course. <laughs> Uh, so do you guys find anything you wanted to discuss any, uh, any, uh, hidden gems or, uh, cheap books? I mean, I've got a cheap book that I, that I read. I mean, I've been, I've been eyeing this book for a while cause it's, it's 99 cents and it <laughs> goes on sale for like half off for 50 cents every once in a while. And I, I picked up this book called Miskatonic High. 
Um, and again, like I to go back to my original thing that I was saying, like Comixology submit stuff is always usually pretty cheap. Um, you know, some some people come on there and like, hey, this is a four dollar book. It's 50 pages, you know, and I'm like, OK, you know, whatever. That's you should you should charge what you think your book is worth. Totally understand that. Um, but as an entry point, like this Miskatonic high number one, the first issue is a dollar and all the subsequent issues are three dollars each. Right. And I think it's a digitally distributed only. Maybe they did like a print collected edition. Um, this is by Mike Shea and Ryan Mendoza. I think this came out a couple years ago. Ultimately, this is like a bargain price book. That's a bargain priced book. Um, I I think that it's classic Eldritch stuff. It's about sacrifices and tentacle monsters. Cool kids are involved. There's missing memories and fungus and kind of everything that you would expect out of a book called Miskatonic High. I mean, there's a Lovecrafting stuff, Eldritch horrors, um, and there's a lot of question marks about what's real, what's not real, and um, yeah, I I don't know if I would necessarily like recommend it but i have had it not been a dollar i don't think i would have picked it up you know right. uh, i think yeah. it, even going through a lot of the sales which is another thing i kind of want to talk about when it comes to like digital comic sales um like on comiXology or, or amazon even you know buying comic books and humble bundle i think is the same way where you can get a lot of comic books for very cheap um right. that you probably or maybe wouldn't have picked up regularly and i know some people you know spend a lot of time going i'm not buying this book until it's on sale because blah 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 <laughs> um that's a whole other discussion but uh, sometimes there are books that I try, like this Fanographic sale I talked about earlier, where I grabbed all the Megan Mog books. Um, there's a couple of books that I grabbed just because they were on sale, like they were 50 or 60 or 70 percent off. Oh, sure. And um, I don't think I would have necessarily checked them out because you take quite a risk on publishers uh, that you don't know, especially with something like Fanographics that publishes so many different types of books. Right. You know, you get right. Megan Mog and then you get Noah Vinskyver and then you get Jaime Hernandez and you get a bunch of other stuff. Um and so it's 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 a it's a vast range. So I, I'm I'm always looking for like little deals there just to sample some of their stuff. Yeah. And if I like it, usually I'll go back and I'll buy stuff full price. Um. But that's maybe that's a totally different subject for today because it's not necessarily bargain bin hunting so much as it's like finding sales on things. But yeah, yeah. I do sit there and I go through the forty or fifty pages of comics. <laughs> uh, you know, at thirty or fifty per per page just to like see what's out there. Sure. Um, and see if covers or titles catch my eye. Um, what about you, Nick? What, what have you What have you been digging into? I think something that really fits sort of what we've been talking about in terms of uh, enabling people to make impulse purchases um, that are affordable and sort of take that risk. Because I think something we've sort of gotten at, and I know we've touched on in the past, is just it's 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 hard to get around the fact that comics are pretty expensive as in terms of uh, interests. I think. Um, you know, not that we need to quantify all of our entertainment and say that, you know, when I go to the movies, I'm being entertained for 30 cents an hour, you know, at a cost or whatever. And, when right, I'm, right. you know, or when I'm going out and, and going to Chuck E. Cheese, that's costing me, you know, two two dollars an hour or something like we don't need to quantify these things. I do, but that's because I'm uh, no, I'm just kidding we don't need to have those discussions, but it, it still is just unavoidable that comics are expensive. And so I think people sort of, I was certainly taught by other people that were deep into comics before me, you know, find the creators you like, figure out the genres you like, figure out the publishers that align with your interests, you know, so you're not, so you every dollar is being spent in a way that you think is, you know, optimizing your expenditures, but 
Mm-hmm. So this idea of like going wild and, and finding random books and reading something you've never read before by someone you've never heard of before, it's sort of counterintuitive, right? But I think one thing that's really worked towards that are these TKO shorts. Um, these are from TKO Studios, the publisher who does some series books, does some OGNs, things like uh, Sentient. I think it was Sentient. Sentient mm-hmm. by Jeff Lemire mm-hmm. um, or the one uh, by... Sheila that came out earlier this year. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they do a thing called TKO Shorts and they are 22-page issues. They are not connected to anything. It's not something where the the writer or the or the team is is continuing or doing a prelude or doing a promo to another product that they already do. We see that sometimes. Um, it's not part of a larger publisher universe because TKO doesn't have one. It's literally just its own thing. It's not connected to anything. You need no prior knowledge to go in and you just read it and it's a dollar and i think they're always a dollar mm-hmm. uh, if nothing else and that might be a bigger discussion for another day i think tko has a really good understanding of price points for digital uh i think and again that's a massively bigger discussion but i think sort of the the comfort levels and and whatnot for people buying physical and for people buying digital uh for some people those 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 price points are exactly the same um and they'll buy at that price point for both i think for other people um they want to see you know a price decrease before they're willing to spend for something uh digitally but i think with tko's price model and i think um I think the trades are $5 digitally always. And I think the shorts are $1 um, always. It's, it is it is really a great uh, opportunity to get in there and try something. And if it's not great, you're, you're, you're barely out anything. Um, mm-hmm. And I've, I've read a couple of those shorts. Uh, I really enjoyed one uh, recently called uh, Night Train. And that was by uh, Steve Fox wrote it uh, with uh, pencils by Lissandro Estherin and Patricio Del Piche did the colors. Um, And another called The Father of All Things by Sebastian Gruner, who wrote it. Uh, Baldemar Rivas did the art and uh, Steve Wands did the letters. Um, and they're just these weird little stories. And it feels like a lot of them lend themselves to some sort of Twilight Zone-esque thing. Um, certainly Night Train kind of had that. You have this story where this kid uh, gets a new baby brother. His parents are clearly very stressed. His mother is um, having some uh, health issues after the birth. Uh, and, you know, the dad says, like, you know, you're 10. It's time to be a, you know, be a man. We need you to help look after your brother, we're moving his, um, you know, his bed into your room, you know, when he cries, can you get him to calm down? And of course, the kid won't calm down. And you have this weird sort of magical realism element going on where like, um, he hears all these trains moving through town all the time, because they went and moved right by these train tracks. And this train pulls up alongside his window. And this like weird conductor dude like drops this like a basket. And he's like, Hey, kid, like your parents are tired. 
Like, you're tired. You know, why don't you put the baby in the basket and he'll uh-huh. get some rest and you'll get some rest and okay. and everybody will be everyone will be happy. And and he's like, well, that seems like a bad idea. And then <laughs> things get worse and the train comes back and he puts the baby in the basket. And it sort of has that moment in the story, which I find kind of so interesting, especially in like things like Twin Peaks, where like a very grounded universe and a very ungrounded universe sort of collide. And of course, you know, the baby disappears, disappears for years and years. And, um, you know, he has to try to explain everything to the cops and his parents and nobody believes him. And he goes through all this therapy and he's still convinced that it happened. But now he's not 100% sure that it happened. And he grows up and he has a kid of his own and it kind of gets weird fantasy-esque with a kind of, it's really, it it was an interesting little story with an unclear ending that like I would love to have more of, but I don't know if we ever will. Hmm. And, and for a dollar, sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, for a buck, that's, that's, that sounds interesting. I mean, again, and I don't necessarily think that this, this whole idea of like, bargain bin shopping is like i want to try to get the most money like you were saying or most value out of my dollar here right. but it is like trying weird things for the sake of them simply because it's easy to get into them and you know whether that's finding a book in the bargain bin at your local shop where it's like hey i never would have read what is it uh secret origins number 46 had i not just <laughs> randomly grabbed it for a right. buck yeah. um i mean that's that's you can't beat that i mean even with like digital sales i totally agree with you paul like there is nothing like that just randomly browsing you know because you go from shop to shop and it's never going to be the same amount of comics never going to be the same types of comics for a buck or whatever they're charging in their bargain bin Mm -hmm. and it's also kind of weird to try to recreate that with digital because even with like digital sales and i guess you can sort of like flip through a sale but i don't know it's sort of it sort of feels it's so more much organized. It's right. more organized it like, than a bargain bin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sales feel like they're more oriented around like, you know what you want and it just happens to be on sale. And so sort of that browsing element of it is kind of um, not yeah. quite the same. Yeah. Exactly. What we need is a service where you say like, I'm going to pay a dollar a week and then you just deliver me a random comic that I don't own. That's what it should be. Let's let's get on that, guys. There you go. I yeah. think We're there are some things out. kind of like that, and I'm not, and I'm not just saying that because we should make loot crate, make loot make loot crate great again. Um, let's... I mean, it's not even physical books. I mean, like if it's a digital thing, right? Imagine yeah. Comicsology or somewhere had like a or a humble bundle had a yeah. thing where they're like. Every month you give us a dollar, you give us four dollars a month, and we'll send you four comic books, one a week. And here's the full PDF, and you can read it. It's 22 pages, like just a random thing from any publisher anywhere. It's not a number one, it could be anything. And it's kind of like this weird, like wow. dive into the dark of things. Who knows? I don't maybe, know. I'm maybe it's like here. all of those stupid wine clubs you hear all the ads about during podcasts where they make you <laughs> fill out like the 30 question survey that they ran past 20 MIT grads to get it perfect. And like, right, uh, right. you just answer the survey and they figure out exactly what kind of comics you're into. And then those are the sorts of ones that get sent to your house. Yeah. Um, yeah. Except, we're on e- except like you do 100, <laughs> you do 100 questions and then every week they still send you a polybagged death of Superman. Just every <laughs> single <laughs> X-Men number every one. Well, I think we've solved it. 
I yeah. got the Jim Lee Claire's Claremont X Men number one again. When I've got no, 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 no. You're like, I think I got the Death of Superman number one again, but it's polybagged, so I'm really not sure. But I better not open it because it could be worth something. Spoiler alert: It's not. Yeah, I yeah, I like this idea. Well, I I I think we've we've kind of we've we've again run really long on this. Uh, I don't know if you guys had any final thoughts on things before we wrap up here, but uh, Paul, I mean, this was kind of your baby in yeah. terms of topics. So I don't know. What are your final thoughts here? Uh, yeah, I'm just glad we took the time to talk about it. It is a very, I think for me, a very personal experience. It's something I really enjoy doing. And I don't know how common it is with a lot of comic fans who start reading comics when they were older or like newer comic mm-hmm. fans. But yeah, as someone yeah. that really sort of enjoys the nostalgia aspect of it, um, it's a part of the comic book collecting experience I'm always going to cherish. And I hope these dollar bins never go away. Trust me, there's plenty of issues of X-Men number one for them to get rid of. Plenty of young blood issues for them to get rid of. They're never going to go away. <laughs> but um, yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time to talk about it with me. It is something I, a very specific and I think a niche comic book experience that maybe hopefully other people that have never done before will give it a shot now next time they're in the shop or next time they're at a con. For sure. And hopefully we're at a next time we can get to a convention, we can we can do this all together as a group. Um, yes. God willing, I guess. God's willing, Thor willing, whatever. <laughs> um, uh, Nick, I'm not going to ask you your final thoughts at all because okay. we're done. Uh, <laughs> Jeez. Really noted. Wow. Um, no, we got to wrap up here. But thank you, guys. This is a really fun topic. Um, I'm, I'm glad we got to talk about it. But uh, let's let's get this up here. next week. We don't have a finalized set on our topic, but next week it's going to be me and Kate and someone else. We're going to let you guys know a day of it's going to be great next week. <laughs> uh, you can follow us all on Twitter if you're interested. If you have more burning questions you need, uh, you can follow Nick at Death Star Plans. You can follow Paul at Ohio Polly, and you can follow me at Mike Rappin, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. This episode first aired on Patreon and is possible because of our wonderful patrons. Join today for exclusive series like IRCB Movie Club, Saga of Saga, and more. Uh, you can join now at patreon.com forward slash IRCB Podcast. If you haven't already, please take a minute to rate and review the show. I think five stars is a fair rating. And you can do that on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It honestly does really help spread the word about IRCB. And you can join the IRCB Discord community to chat about comics and much, much more. All topics are on the table. And you can listen to our episodes live as we record them at rsbpodcast.com slash discord. And also really help us a lot if you talk about the show to your friends or mention it at your local comic book shop. Help spread the word. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. We can't thank them enough. Xander is a very cool guy who has helped me organize what is going to probably be the biggest episode of Irie Comic Books ever at episode 300. So get hyped for that. I forgot to say that at the top of the show. Uh, I want to say thanks to Paul and Nick for being on this episode. Nick, I'm sorry I didn't get you to let you talk on your final words. So um, No, we'll, here, we'll here are my out. final words. Send me your oh, Kool-Aid no. points. Send me your Kool-Aid <laughs> points. Together. If we if we put our, uh-huh. our Kool-Aid points together, I will get Legend of Samus uh, Metroid 2 for the Game Boy and you can all come over and we can share the Game Boy I know people who wants to go in on a timeshare on we're doing on this. Metroid 2 make it happen we're doing this well thank you Paul and Nick for being on this episode thank you Danny for hanging out with us in the chat for the whole episode and thank you to everyone out there who listens to the show we really love you and we hope that uh, this podcast is, is enjoyable as you know we think it is uh, until next time though you gotta remember comics are good and so are you <laughs>